Would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Mark, chapter 3? We're going to be in uh, verses 7 through 13. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. If you go with me to Israel in February, you're going to get to see where all this stuff happened. The crowd, he was, the crowd is forming, and so verse 8, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and all the regions across Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. This is like a hundred and some miles away. They're talking about these guys were walking. So the equivalent of like BTS is in Chicago and everybody's buying tickets to drive to Chicago. This, this would have taken that long to get there, like forever. So they, the word is spreading about what Jesus is doing. In verse nine, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him. Look, this could get tricky. So get a boat ready just in case. Because... Um, because the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. I think if you've got the, I think I've got the Berean up there to keep him from crushing him. This was a dangerous thing. If you've ever been a part of a, a mob mentality or a crowd like in Haiti or whatever, it's like a hairpin. Things could go wrong in a hurry and they could get crushed into the sea. So this is a real serious situation he's talking about. For he had healed many, so the word is spreading, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down and before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders to not tell others about him. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. I love that. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And there, uh, these are the 12 that, uh, that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John. To them he gave the name, the word I can't pronounce, but it means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it will be alive and real and active dividing between our soul and our spirit today. In our moment of uh, it's quiet before you that your word would speak from our heads into our hearts and, and change us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus has got his disciples. He's got a large crowd forming around him, and it's dangerous. I've been in a couple of those crowds in uh, other countries, and it's a little scary. We wouldn't do that. If you come to Haiti, I wouldn't let that happen to you. But for me, on the other hand, it's happened a couple times, and it's like this, uh, this could go south in a hurry. David and I were part of one of the, like when they did Creepy Easter, which is one of the, the, the charming parts of Haiti, is they can make Easter creepy somehow. And so we're in this truck and the crowd is forming and they're starting to rock the truck and it's like, okay, this is getting real in a hurry. And, uh, but I remember that night praying and literally speaking right into this, this, uh, this dude's face and just rebuking Satan in his eyes and he knew, it was just weird. I just know that he knew what it was and when Satan hears the name of Jesus, he has to stop and so the rocking stopped and it was fine after that. But in a crowd situation, Jesus is like, get the boat ready because this could get real in a hurry. But what I think is more 
poignant even than that is that Jesus' response to the crowd wasn't to build a platform, to monetize it, to start his Instagram account to be an influencer. He didn't push into the crowd to get his value from the crowd. He pulled away from the crowd because his value didn't come from that. Jesus would know that crowds, that the same crowd that cheers you will jeer you. The same crowd that will lift you up will tear you down. We've seen it over and over again in our culture. And that value from that crowd wasn't where they were gonna get their value from. And so he pulls his disciples, he calls to those that he wanted, these 12. And they left and they went up to a mountain. And there's some picture here of Moses that Jesus is probably telling a story of. You know, the 12 tribes of Israel, he calls 12. There's a whole lot of that going on. But what's in front of us is that Jesus pulls these guys away and he does something. He reclaims them. Right? This is reclaiming who they were, their identity. He renames them, and then he unchains them. And if you're not Baptist and shouting right now, I, don't, I can't do any more than that. He reclaims them, <laughs> renames them, and unchains them. Right? Pretty good, Connor, right? I was pretty proud of that. I mean, it's not bad, right, Tori? I mean, it's... <laughs> Look, it, it, reclaiming them. And I know it's, whatever, it's cheesy because it rhymes, but it's true. He is saying to them, I am pulling their identity away from this crowd. I've pulled their identity away from who they were because none of those identities are going to be what will sustain them. When he is going to reclaim them, he's basically saying, look, I want you. Isn't that what he says? He called to those he wanted and they came unto him. Now my question, who is it that Jesus wants today? Peter, who's standing here, by the way, would later write 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He says that it's not his will that any would perish. In fact, the way he words it, I don't want any of you to perish. I want you. He wants you. You are who Jesus wants. That is something that is mind-blowing, and yet because we've been around it a while, it tends to not land in the place of importance that it is. You know where it really lands? When you're in the bush in East Africa and you look to a, a group of people who've got nothing and say, you're the one that Jesus wants. They don't know, that's a brand new piece of information to them. And it lands in a way that I hope that, it, I'm not a good enough preacher to make it land, but I know the Holy Spirit is, and I pray that it will land in you, that he wants to reclaim you. He wants you. And he's not going to force you. It doesn't say that he called to those he wanted, threw a rope around their neck and pulled them. It says, and then they came to him. It was their choice. Am I an Armenian or am I a Calvinist? Do I believe that God chose me or that I choose him? Yes. I mean, they're both in there, right? So either the Bible contradicts itself or there's a paradox that is way bigger than anything I could get my puny little mind wrapped around. He chose you, calling to you, claiming you, but you still have to say yes to that and to come to him. It, it makes perfect sense that both of it could be true if you're God. And for the rest of us, it's sort of like, if you see a little smoke coming out of my ears, I don't understand it. I just know that it's true. And I know that it doesn't make God smaller. It makes him bigger, and a God that is, what is it, big enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. He's calling unto you today 
to reclaim you, to bring you back. And what is he calling you for? He's calling you. I've read from the NIV, but you might've noticed I put a translation up that's called the Berean version. But look at what he says in this version, Berean. And by the way, this is in Luke chapter six, verse 13, I think. It actually uses this specific sentence, but in the Berean version, it actually says, he designated as apostles. He appointed, verse 14, those 12 of them, whom he designated as apostles. And the word appointed is like poia, uh, like poia, like when Ephesians 4, when it says you're his workmanship, his, his poems, his art, his creation, it's a root of that word. But designated is the word anomia, and, nom- and I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's where we get our word nomenclature from, nomen. The Greek word nomen, omen, 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 whatever, I'm speaking tongues right now. Um, someone got an interpretation, anybody? <laughs> Third service. Um, It's where we get our word nomenclature from. He named them as apostles, as disciples. He changed their identity. He wasn't just giving them a new name, which he does, by the way. You read it in there. Simon, whom he called Peter. He says Matthew here, but we know that his name is Levi from reading the book of Matthew. That's who, we don't know where the name change happened. We just know that it does. But it's not just that he's changing their name. He's changing their identity, and when he is changing their name, there's a power in that. It's like, on the one hand, in Western culture, we don't necessarily understand the fullness of that idea that your name means something. Like if your last name is Isaac's son, the history of that would be that I'm Isaac's son. Like there's a, there's a heritage of that. Your identity is from your family. There are cultures where your identity came from what you did. My last name is Tyler, but I loved it if it meant that I was a warrior or some sort of Nordic god, but it just meant that I did tiles. My, my ancestors made tiles. So much, so many tiles that that was, became their name. <laughs> but the identity, like we sort of lose that, but we actually intuitively know it without really knowing it. Because how many of you have ever bought a record from a guy named Reginald Kenneth Dwight? Elton John, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> 100 million bought him from Elton John, but we understand intuitively that name probably ain't gonna fly. <laughs> Kenneth Dwight original. Like, it's probably a fine name, it just wasn't gonna work. But now that that name is Elton John, it actually means something. You know that because the, the meaning of that name actually carries on till today. I, I, I hesitate to, to, to talk like this because it feels like I'm name dropping. And it's not. It's just literally, it's all I know. It was my life was this. But there was in 1995, 94, when I first got a phone to become a booking agent. How many have heard of, if I say the name, this is be a fascinating experiment. I say the name Jars of Clay. Who knows who that is? Okay. Now, raise your hands if you have no idea who I'm talking about, Jars of Clay. Hold them real high. Come on, real high. That's not high enough. <laughs> Okay. And how many of you raise your hand right now? It's because you're under 20 years old and literally have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Thank you. You've made my point. So what I'm saying is when I first started making phone calls for this band that were in their mom's minivan until they dropped the transmission, that was a whole other story. Um, Nobody knew who I was talking about. I was actually, and honestly, kind of embarrassed of the name because it sounded too Christian-y. I was too cool for that. But then they sold like, you know, a bunch of records and suddenly it's Jars of Clay. Like all of a sudden there's an identity there in that name that I thought was awesome. There was another band, same kind of thing. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was a stupid name. And 
And they were literally nobody. So much so that when I, so I, some of this is my fault because I didn't know any better. I'm 24 and I'm booking uh, this band and I, uh, my only phone call is like, I'm sorry they're booked, I'm sorry they're booked, I'm sorry they're booked, I'm sorry they're booked. But I saw this band play this show at this little dive thing in Atlanta and I thought those guys will be huge. And I almost got fired because I didn't even tell my boss, I just started booking them. And my boss, we had just moved to Nashville now, we moved here from Atlanta and he's driving me down to West End saying, Darren, I ought to fire you right now. We can't just sign every third day that comes along. We have to be exclusive. This is a true story. And he was right because nobody knew who they were. Nobody cared. They were on some you know, backyard record label caught in this weird contract. And it was, there was no reason to have thought that that name would have meant anything. And now when I say the name Third Day, somebody of you know who that is. It meant something. But in about 20 years, it'll mean nothing to anybody. Because we as humans, we can name something and we can give value to it, but the value doesn't last. We have a, 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 a value system that can make something valuable, but it, it doesn't, it's not durable. It doesn't last. I remember vividly when we were, I was 24 and uh, there was a, uh, now I'm, I'm gonna really date myself, but there was a, a tour going out with Petra and Whiteheart. <laughs> I'm 24, I'm too cool for school. I called it Methuselah Palooza. Because <laughs> by 1994, they were already on the back nine of their career. But I'm telling you, in the 80s, Darren wasn't calling them Methuselah Palooza. I was in the front row with the rock horns, okay? Because it meant something to me. But that identity wasn't durable and it didn't last, even though they're wonderful human beings. But the name and the brand and the identity meant something and then it didn't. And what Jesus is doing here is he's giving them an identity that's going to last long beyond this earth. And the identity that he wants to give them is the identity he wants to give us. When he renames them, when, put it this way, when God creates something, when God created the earth, okay, he says he called the day, day, and it was day. Like he didn't create this and think, well, now what am I going to call it? I got to call it something. No, when he spoke it, he named it, the name was the designation, not the description. He named it to designate it as day, not creating something and then try to figure out what it was called later to describe it. You understand? It's not, when he names you, he's not describing you, he's designating you. He knows way more than you know. He is, he didn't look at Simon and think, that guy's got what it takes. The dude is a cussing, ne'er-do-well fisherman he didn't look at him and say, hey, that's an apostle. I see what that guy's got. You, you hear Michaela sing and you think, okay, that makes sense. Let's, let's buy that record. That actually makes sense. He looked at Simon and that didn't make any sense. But when he named him Peter, he designated him as that. He didn't give him, or I mean, sorry, he didn't have what it takes. Jesus gave him what it takes. And that's what he wants to do for you to name you, to designate you as. And the thing about it is this. It's not just changing your name. It's literally changing the core of who you are. 
Some of you guys might have been fortunate enough to grow up in the cool kid crowd. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I wasn't one of those. Do they still do the line up the kids on the wall and pick teams thing? Or have we not gotten beyond that as a society yet? <laughs> there was always two at the very end. It was me and it was Lori Pearson. No, I swear. And we're like, to this day, like, yeah, I understand it, you know. And I would usually get, I, thank God for Lori because I didn't get picked last because they would say, well, we'll take Tyler, at least he's funny. <laughs> but my point is that like my name in that world, it meant something and it wasn't that great. I grew up in a town where everybody knew everybody and you were already designed, you were assigned your meaning and your purpose before you ever got there just based on who your name was. That's why some of us, the dream was, man, if I could just get out of this town, I could, do, I could reinvent myself, I could be somebody else, I could do something completely different, I could start over again. And what Jesus is offering to these 12, to you today, is you have a chance to start over with this new name, with this new identity. He's reclaiming you, he's renaming you, and how do I then get to that name? How do I even know what that means? How do I get out of that past and those lies that I've believed and that name, that identity that I've had. And he says it, it's implied here in what he's telling to his disciples. He invited them to do what? To be with him, right? To be with him and that he might send them out, be with and to be sent, to be with and to be sent, to be with and to be sent. He wants to be with and to be sent. And when you think about it, it's exactly what it means to be a parent. I am raising children. I have given them a name and they're with me, and I'm trying to teach them what I know and to be the values that we believe as a family that are important, and then I send them out to school, and then they come back, and they learn a little bit more, and I send them out more. And back. They were with Jesus, and he sent them out. It's discipleship. And it's discipleship because my kids learn things, and sometimes they go out and they go, okay, that didn't work i got to come back and dad can tell them this or that and maybe this worked. And then it's up to them whether they step into this identity or not. But my point is, is they got my name the day they were born. They got my identity as they grew in life. A name is given and identity is discovered. So when you're raising your children, they're getting your identity. They might look just like you, but their identity is when they learn to act and to be and to do what you have taught to be and to say. And that's what Jesus was doing with these disciples. You see, Peter didn't quite become Peter when he was called that. It took him a while. And I, man, I totally get that because, you know, even when I was younger, I really felt like I was probably called to ministry. My mom, when I was little, would say, you're, you're going to be a pastor someday. <laughs> Even when I got older and I thought I was just so cool and I would book in these bands, my mother would still refer to me as her, quote, this is a true story, her son, the pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm a youth pastor of a skater punk little church group. We don't get paid for it. I'm, that's just our passion. We always served in our church, but I'm not a pastor. She would ask me, when are you going to get ordained? When are you going to get ordained? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, nowadays you can just Google it and be ordained by noon. So, I mean, if you need, if that's important to you, then we can do that. But that's, 
And that's what she would say to me, you know, you're going to be ordained. And she would refer to your son, the pastor. And there was a brief respite, by the way, when I was, uh, found myself working with Sandy Patty. Anybody know who that is? For that season, she would say, you know my son. So before it be, you know my son, the pastor. During that season, well, you know my son, he works with, you know who Sandy Patty? I'm sure you've heard of Sandy Patty. He works with Sandy Patty. And then it went back to my son, the pastor. <laughs> and you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for me. I was, I was loving my life. But that identity that God was building, it just, I would spend time with him and then I'd go out and I'd go spend time with him and I'd go out. And over time, slowly by slowly by surely, it started to rise up in me that Something's happening in me that's different. That I remember Jamie George at Journey Church, he said, you know, this little Bible study you guys have, you can call that a Bible study, but that's a church, and you're a pastor. I went home and floated that by my wife. And she, uh, she laughed really, really, really hard. I said, you know what Jamie says? He says that you're, there's a church and you're a pastor, and she just was like guffaw laughing. She said, and I quote, you don't even like people. How can you be a pastor? <laughs> it wasn't until I was sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee a couple of years ago. We'd found ourselves in this little building. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is where it went down for Peter. When Jesus had resurrected, Peter had blown it on monumental levels. He's blown it so bad he's gone back to his old life. And Jesus is sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Peter goes by in the boat and he looks out and he sees Jesus and he like Forrest Gump style jumps out of the boat to get to shore. And I think it was in that moment that Simon finally stepped into the identity of who Jesus had created him to be. When you read the Gospels you'll notice something. Jesus, after he changes his name to Peter, starts to vacillate back and forth. Sometimes he calls him Simon, sometimes he calls him Peter. Pay attention when you see that and see in the moments when he's calling him Simon, it's because he had just blown it and stepped back into his old life. And when he calls him Peter, it's like, on this rock, I will build my church. Who do you say that I am? That's right, Peter, you're stepping into it. But after Jesus' resurrection, they never called him Simon again. The same Simon that was like a little worm that just squirreled away and was scared. And that same Simon, Peter, stood up in front of thousands and thousands of people, the same people who had crucified his Lord and preached the gospel to them. What did it say that he called them to do? He called them to preach and to cast out demons. Here was Peter doing that very thing. And by the way, we will, it's like, it talks about demons like every page. We will get to that. I just can't do it every week. But understand what that, in essence, is meaning is that when you are going, and we've said it here, when I go drill a well in Africa, when we go and help children who are poor and powerless in adoption, whatever, you are, that is the demonic that is being pushed back. That is spiritual warfare. Every bit as much as when a demon manifests, literally, when we are saying to a, to a child in their mother's womb that we're fighting for your life, that is pushing back the demonic. Cast out demons and to preach. Now, One of the greatest pictures of this for all of us. The idea that your name changes the moment that you, the moment you step into 
uh, into creation, into being created. You're a new creation. Old things are passed away. From that moment on, your identity has changed. You are now a child of God. He looks on you and he sees nothing but Jesus. He sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ. There's no better picture of this than the picture of adoption. Justin and Sarah, you know this. We, we have this brand new addition to our church. Meet, meet Boomy and meet Mayonk. That is Rob and Kimberly Holmes. The moment they were decreed when the judge signed the paperwork, they became as Rob and Kimberly Holmes as they will ever be. They'll never be more their children than at that moment. And it will take a lifetime for them to learn their identity, to step into who Rob and Kimberly are. But the moment they were accepted in and signed off on, a judge decreed it, they became Holmes children. The moment that you stepped into the kingdom of God, you became children of God. And listen to what the judge decreed for them on that day. They were referred to in the paperwork as, quote, inmates of the orphanage. When I say they were unchained, the judge said this, and I do further order that the names of the said minors, Mayank and Bumi, be changed to Robert Aro Aro Mayank Holmes and Eliana Bumi Holmes and further declare that the minors will have all legal rights, including the rights of inheritance as a natural born child. That's the gospel. Kate is your daughter. The moment you brought her home, she's your daughter. She's going to spend a whole lifetime of being with Justin and Sarah and going out. Being with Justin and Sarah and going out. In the same way that my uncle and Boomy will spend their days with Robert and Kimberly, spend the time with them and go out. And for you, the way that you're going to step into that identity is to spend time with Jesus and then be sent out. And spend time with Jesus and then be sent out. And I say that because I don't want you to have to panic and think, well, I don't know my name. I don't know. I... Truth is, I don't know that we'll ever actually know the name, this side of heaven. We'll know our identity. We'll know that he's changed us. You're a child of God. You're fully inherited just like Jesus is. But there's coming a day where it says in Revelation 2, verse 17, that he's going to give you a new name, one known only to you, written on a white stone. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I'm supposed to know, right? But uh. Here's the essence of what I believe it means. When you've got multiple children, some of y'all, especially in a homeschool community, you're breeders, so you know what I'm saying. You got a lot of kids. And every one of them has their own distinct personality of who they are and the position they play in the family. And it's known really only to them and to you. Because you're the parent and they're the child. The siblings kind of know, but only you really know. So when he says he's got a place for you, he's going to prepare a place for you, understand that it's for you. There's billions of stars. He calls them by name. He has a space, a place that is yours. Specifically, uniquely yours. We used to be sheep farmers at the Tyler house, and you know what? I could tell the difference between those sheep. It's fascinating. I can drive by anybody else's herd. I don't know. I can't tell any of them apart. But I knew mine. They were different. 
They all looked exactly the same and somehow they look different. There's something about that in this that you're gonna get a name that only you know because it's a way that he knows you that he doesn't know anybody else on the earth that way. My sheep know me. I call them by name. Jesus would later tell the disciples. They would go out, they'd cast out demons and they'd come back and they're like, this rocks. We cast out demons. They obeyed us. It was awesome. And what did he say? It's Luke chapter 6. He says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. In other words, don't take your identity from how awesome you are in ministry because what if the demons don't come out tomorrow? In ministry, you get your identity from ministry. Even that is not a durable identity. No, no, he said, don't rejoice that. Rejoice because why? Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Being a son of Darren is, I suppose, underwhelming. <laughs> I mean, in Williamson County, right? It's like, his dad's got a Maserati. Well, I got this Toyota. Like that. But, but being a son of Darren, there are some benefits. We've got an awesome pantry. I'm serious. Like, if, I can, if you want to look like me, I can mentor you. It's about snacking. It's not about the meals. Anybody need a meal. It's the snacks in between that'll get you here. So my kids, they know the pantry is theirs, but don't rejoice because I got an awesome pantry. Rejoice because you get to live in this house because you're the son of Darren. And I'm just an earthly father who just tries my best. to. How much more do your heavenly father give all those who ask the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's some awesome things. It's probably got a great pool. I don't know. But the benefit isn't that I get the stuff. It's that I get to be his. That he wants me. He wants you. Some of you have been rejected. You know that that's not, you, uh, that lands in you because you know what it feels like to not be wanted. And he said, the only eyes in the universe that matter, the God of all the universe that created you matters and he sees you, wants you, reclaims you, renames you, and wants to unchain you to go out and participate with him in bringing heaven to earth. And that's an identity that lasts for an eternity. To this day, you could probably name Herod or a couple of the main characters, right? These fishermen, these tax collectors, these near dwells, we still know their names. And so does Jesus. And eternity from now, they'll still be saying the name of Benny, Mary Lou, Brandon, and Jennifer. And it's gonna mean something so pregnant and so amazing and so beautiful. Stand your feet, I wanna pray for you. I hope that it lands. I hope, I'm always grateful that the Holy Spirit is a better preacher than me. Because this is some big stuff. Like I'm, just, I'm still trying to figure out and scratch the surface of what it means. And as best I can tell, it just means that every day I'm gonna be a little less Simon and a little more Peter. Tomorrow, a little bit, I just wanna be the next, I think it's Bob Goff's, I just, tomorrow I just wanna grow up, wake up and be the next best version of Bob. Go to seminary, get your MDiv for sure, whatever. But you don't have to do any of that. Just wake up tomorrow and be the next best version of Tiffany. Like, stepping into this again, stepping a little bit more. A little further from that, a little closer to him. And one day it says, I will fully know as I am fully known. And on that day, I'll know that name.
and so will you. Heavenly Father, I'm super grateful, profoundly grateful that my name is temporary here, but in eternity the name that you've given, the identity that you've given for me is durable. It's a core identity that will last forever. Thank you for that. As we sang earlier, if the stars were meant to praise you, if they'll praise you, then so will I. You know every one of those stars by name. And you know me by name as well. I'm thankful for that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.